There seems to be some kind of disturbance. I'm gonna go check it out. We request that everybody stays calm at the current moment. Who are you people? I want a coffee! You, you, you are now to 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 Where love and life come together. together. From the Spacebird Media Studios, it's Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. Unlimited with Roxanne and Ace. Welcome back to the show. What a joy to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good. It's uh, been one of those crazy weeks. I think a lot of people are in that post-Easter, you know, like, uh, like a lot of church services and a lot of extras, so to get a chance to capture our breath. And I'm just glad to be able to say hallelujah out loud again. You know, it's the, Ooh. you know, don't say hallelujah, dancing hallelujah. <laughs> like, okay, whatever, thanks. Uh, but it's been a great week. Uh, glad to be back. Thanks to our friends at My Brother's Cup and Birmingham Mortgage Group. We got lots going on that's trending this week as uh, heavy prayers for what's happening in Kentucky. Well, there's so many connections and I felt like we really needed to kind of dive into it just a bit with Connor Sturgeon, the young man that went into the bank in Louisville where he was employed and killed people and the police killed him. And it, it took the police only minutes to get there. But there's so many nuances of this story. He got his master's degree at the University of Alabama. He was Mr. Floyd Central. Now, that was the high school I graduated from in Indiana, Floyd Central High School. Mm-hmm. Prominent athlete, not known to ever have a disturbance with police. And there are so many disturbing things about this that he left a note for his parents that he told his roommate, that the roommate called his mom, that his mom called 911 right before, I mean, seconds before he started killing people. And it's... They believe, and they're still trying to sort all that out, was that he had knowledge that he was going to be fired. And I just thought, so much of someone's identity is caught up in their job Mm -hmm. that they would rather be dead than face that. I don't know. All of this is guessing, and I probably shouldn't do that. But we can all agree it's a horrendous thing to think about for his parents who've never had a problem with him. Now they said that he was having some mental issues that he didn't quite fit in. Yeah. But for it to go from that to a massacre, it's stunning. Yeah. Well, and I, I, because of stories like this and even like the recent Nashville shooting, like it's a reminder when you hear people say, check on your neighbors, check on your whether you know them really well or not, you know, walk the neighborhood and just, Hey, hadn't seen you in a couple of weeks. How you doing? What's going on? Like we're supposed to have, I know in a post COVID world or a, you know, post pandemic world, we're supposed to be more isolated or we've become more isolated, but that only leads to not knowing what we can and can't lean into each other for. And and ultimately, especially as we try to love people with the heart of Jesus, Jesus will be checking on people He'd be walking up and down in his bare feet, you know, just to make, and people would just come out in droves and follow him. And I feel like that's what we need to get back to is to be able to, you know, obviously pray for families that are affected when these tragedies happen, because they are going to happen. But giving that to God and saying, God, how can I check on my neighbors or on people that I work with to make sure that they're okay? And, you know, 
and 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 again, there's accountability. It's not to say that this guy, you know, or anybody that does these terrible things, that you know, it's somehow our responsibility because we didn't check on them. But they, we also need to be checking on ourselves, you know, to to make sure that we're in a good space with God and that we're not holding on and that our identity is not in our jobs or in our paychecks or in the relationships that ended, you know, so that we can be in a healthy headspace. I couldn't agree more. A healthy headspace. How do we do that? Well, we can take comfort in God. If we look at Matthew 18, verses 19 through 20, it talks about my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And I believe that's what you were talking about just now, Ace. We need each other, and we need to be able to be clear with each other and how we're feeling, and we need to reach out to others. It's in isolation yeah. that we have trouble. Second Chronicles 32, King Hezekiah got together with the prophet Isaiah, and they started praying prayers and speaking victory. They declared God's favor. And then what happened? The two of them were praying together. This is so beautiful. You know, we pray with our guests before we do an interview with them. Mm-hmm. We're coming into agreement under God's authority to be vehicles for his purpose. So the two of them got together and then God sent an angel to destroy their enemies, the Syrian army. But what did it take? The two of them together praying. And I think you've got a great point, Ace. We need each other and we need to be able to tell each other what we're going through. Yeah. Well, and I, I like the idea and, and I feel like sometimes this comes with age. I wish I'd realized this earlier in life when we are bombarded with fears and doubts and worries and the stresses of money and kids and whatever else to take a step back and evaluate, okay, God, you're, you're not affected by what's happening in my life. And if some of this stuff is self-inflicted, if some of this is just happening because of the conditions of the market or, you know, the industry that I'm in, or the ministry that I'm in, what is it that you are teaching me through it so that I can see what I can do now and how much of it is out of my hands that I just need to trust in God. And I think the sooner we can get into that headspace, whether we feel like we have a, a great group of people around us or not, or a great church to go to, that we are finding that, you know, coming out of Easter, you know, Jesus hung on a cross so that we can give all those fears to him. You know, he didn't go through that so that we can every day go back over and pick up that cross and carry it ourselves. We're supposed to let go of that stuff. And I'm too old to, you know, I'll be 51 next week. And I'm just like, I I don't have it in me to carry all that weight with me anymore. You know, and if I talk things out with my wife or if I'm talking them out with, you know, a friend or with you, you know, it's like, yeah, why am I, why am I letting this bother me? But it's again, I didn't take that step back and go, all right. I hear from God. I hear what he's telling me. And, you know, in the conversations I had with him this morning, he's like, I need you to be that chill person because when everyone else is going, you know, that they go, why are you so chilled? You know, and part of it is because I'm old and I'm out of, you know, (laughs) caring about that stuff. But I also have tried to put the priorities of God first and what he says goes. And if I do feel frazzled, then clearly I probably not talk to him and I need him to be that peace in my life. First Peter, we're to cast our cares on him. Well, mm. one thing I care about is NASA and what they're up to. And it's really cool. A really diverse team of astronauts are going on a moon mission. And one of the team members is from Canada. 
and humans have not ventured more than a few hundred miles off that planet since the return of Apollo 17, NASA's last moon mission in 1972. So it's really, really big news. And there's a massive article about it. And one of the neat components, Ace, and, and everybody believes this, is that this is just one more step to get us closer. They're going to go study you know, where there's water on the moon, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. But the ultimate goal is travel and space travel and living, not only visiting Mars, but living there. Yeah. And this is in the, this is not just, well, that's not going to happen or it'll be 300 years from now. It's closer than that. And I don't know. I, th- I think it's exciting. Wayne said, I wouldn't go if you paid me. I'm my feet are on the ground here. Bye. And I was like, Oof. Yeah. I'd be like, mm, I'm going to Mars. I'm going to- <laughs> I would love to go. See, I'm with Wayne. Like, I, I'm, really? and, and maybe the people who want to go to the moon, it'll free up. So it's not so crowded here on earth. <laughs> so <be fun> with <laughs> that. It's like, all right, more elbow room. But I, I do enjoy watching the space program. My brother works for NASA. He's one of the engineers they call in the middle of the night when a computer breaks down. Uh, so he's, you know, that kind of super smart. But I love watching, I love seeing the adventures, but my claustrophobia, watching them get into that little Tylenol oh. thing and shoot up into the space, uh, that's the it other reason why going to the moon, new. No. Oh. I would not do well in that. I would hyperventilate or pass out or I'd lose all my coolness. I'd be like, did you hear what happened to Ace on his way to the moon? Like, especially in a social media world, there'd be pictures and photos and TikToks. Oh, no. <laughs> all right. Do not marry someone until you can honestly answer these questions. We don't have time to go through all of them. But, of course, this is, this is an article that lacks any Christ. So right out of the gate, do you both know and love the Lord? And is your marriage going to be about him? Numero uno, I know from mistakes not to do it any other way. Yeah. Well, and I love, you know, in this, you know, is, you know, in the vows, it's for better or worse. Well, the two things on that one is the, is the better and worse of your relationship going to make you better or worse? And I've, I've, I've said the I do's when it made me worse and that was a horrible place to be in. It was exhausting on every front, but in a relationship like I am now where it makes me better, even when times are tough, but to think about this, we say it as a part of vows, not realizing, you know, we think the better is going to be, Ooh, it's rosy and bluebirds on our shoulders, but we don't think about how (laughs) worse the worst is. I mean, right. I can tell a little bit of Roxanne. I mean, it's cancer, it's, you know, surgeries, it's hair loss, it's, you know, I mean, there's a ton of things, you know, and then you throw into it, you know, financial and job issues and raising kids and then kids and their issues. And you, you, yes, we all want to say I do and think it's going to be grand, but there are going to be hard times that you can't imagine. Questions like, why am I in this relationship? You know, if it's all about how the person looks, You'll have fun looking at them, but everything else could really be a problem. You know, can you have fun together? Mm-hmm. That is a big thing for me because I have more fun than anybody should be allowed to have. Being married is such a great adventure who loves to do things. But here's another thing. Can we have fun apart? Yeah. Are you whole 
by yourself, you and Jesus. So you bring a whole person into the relationship. Yeah. Amen. I agree. I know one of the things you got to be on the same page on in your marriage is your home. You want your home to not just be a house payment and then a thorn in your side. You want to be able to afford it. So Turin and the amazing team at Birmingham Mortgage Group helping to make that a reality, especially with this crazy as the market can go up and down. And when you don't understand it, you got to have someone you trust. And with Turin and his team, faith is always a huge component of why they do what they do. So you know it's someone that's going to shoot straight with you and work to make the mortgage work for you. And don't listen to the naysayers. Well, I don't have the credit to do it. Well, I don't have the down payment to do it. Turin is aware of USDA loans. He doesn't do one size fits all. He, He loves to go after programs that work for you, that make sense for you. And you cannot be renting forever. First of all, it's very hard to find a place to rent. And then what they want for it, Mm -hmm. you might as well buy. And so get some expert advice from a wonderful man that Ace and I both trust and love. That is Turin Newell, BirminghamMortgage.com. The number 205-259-1650. Five six Birmingham Mortgage Group. You will love them. Tell them you heard about it on Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. Now, Roxanne, you were talking about you know when you're away from Wayne, can you do things that make you happy that are fulfilling? And and I love the idea of that because I want to come back to it because I feel like a lot of times when we're in our like alone time, we either do things that are damaging to ourselves, whether that's physically or emotionally, or we've done things when we're alone. So then we can't trust ourselves. So we're either with our spouse or we're with our kids or we're with our friends. And we never really have that alone time, which a puts you in a weird spot when you're trying to spend time with God to hear the one-on-one he wants to have. But then when you can't trust yourself, you don't have the compassion and grace that you give to everyone else all day. Oh, they're deserving of it. God loves them. Do you apply it to yourself? I mean, what do you do in those moments? Trust in God and really love yourself. I couldn't stand me for the longest period of time. And I would try to change and I would hear that voice. You know, when I speak at women's conferences, all I hear is I am not enough. And I have gone from a mentality of I'm not enough to I am royalty. How have I done that? Because God gives me a crown as part of his family. And I have to have a crown mentality that I am enough. Mm -hmm. And our spouse doesn't make us. Our friends don't make us. Our kiddies don't make us. We have kids and they become our whole world, our every breath. Here's the thing. It's all out of order. It's God first. And if you don't love yourself, you're going to have a really difficult time Mm -hmm. finding someone to love you. Because after all, you don't love you. Yeah. I don't know that that answers your question. But. No, it does. And <laughs> and and it's one of those where I feel like a lot of having compassion for ourselves comes with age, you know, that we have to we have to say, okay, what do I need? And and for me, and especially at this juncture with my relationship with my wife, you know, we have our own adventures of things that are that we're doing separate of each other, which a allows us to really be excited when we get to spend time together but then we can support the other one in the adventures that the other one is doing going, Hey, you know, did, did you see my wife did this thing? Hey, did you hear Ace is doing this thing? Like there's that, but 
again, you asking yourself that question, what do I need? And then as you're having those relationship conversations with God, he's telling you what you need. Because the thing I found is how many times have you prayed for something? He gave it to you so that he could show you you didn't need it. Oh, yeah. Oh. And you're like, this is just a it's just a paperweight. Or, you know, it's, it's that Garth Brooks song. You know, thank God for unanswered prayers, mm -hmm. because sometimes we get what we really wanted and it wasn't what we needed at all. Yeah, Kristen Neff. Her book on self-compassion just really kind of changed me. And one of the things suggested that actually lowers your cortisol, your stress levels, according to research, is to put your hand on your heart. God loves me. I am worthy. I am more than enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am the head and not the tail. Yeah. And it changes your body chemistry and and and. Let's face it, this is where the Holy Spirit is housed. Mm -hmm. If I don't like me, what is that saying about the God who inhabits me? Yeah. Well, and I'll, I, as I was reading this this morning, I, I yep. couldn't help but also think about that quote from Ted Lasso, which you and I are huge fans of. The For those that have seen the scene where he's playing darts in the bar with Rupert, and mm -hmm. he makes the quote, he goes, he said that he saw on a billboard of um, to be curious, not judgmental. And I think a lot of times our own self-compassion, our lack of it, is because we're busy judging other people or we feel like we're being judged. So we have to elevate, look at me, look at me, look at me. And there's no peace. There's no compassion on any front because we're not being curious. We're just being judgment judgmental to others or to ourselves that show has a lot of profanity if you don't want to see that i'm, I'm just sure. giving that warning but the characters are rich and the message is pretty fabulous because like you said ted lasso puts people and their feelings first even over winning mm -hmm. which is unpopular with a lot of the soccer fans you know the theme of the show but even his little arch nemesis who went off and just did terrible things, said horrible public things about him. You know, Ted Lasso's comment at the press conference was, I wish him the very best. I want him to succeed. He did a great job with us. Just putting that positivity out into the world, not just benefits them, but benefits you. Yeah. Uh, ooh, I love that, Ace. All right, things that he says that... Let you know you can't trust him. <laughs> when a guy says, why should, oh, this is just not good. Why should I have to explain everything to you? <laughs> That's well, how much are you doing in the dark that doesn't make sense in the light? That's what I would ask back. Because, <laughs> I mean, if, 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 there's, if, there's, if you're already not feeling a trust, and anytime there is a lack or a breakdown of, it's hard. Like, you can learn to love again. It's hard to learn to trust someone that's broken or or bent. Because sometimes, you know, the trust is like a, you know, it's a weeble. It wobbles, but it doesn't fall down, you know. Yeah. And and I feel like if we're constantly with someone who's wobbling, you, the the trust, it becomes harder for you to be able to confide to be able to know that when they're away from you, that they're not doing things that they shouldn't, whether it's with money and drugs and sex and whatever else, like you got to be able to trust them. 
our relationship is fine the way it is. Why do we need a commitment? You've never said anything like that to somebody, have you? No, but I was also that guy when I was in a, when I was the player that I used to be, I always had an out. <laughs> so I knew that, oh. okay, well, whether we get to the out, you know, in two weeks or we get to the out in six months or a year, I had my out with pretty much everybody. And sadly, I joke with my wife now because my only out with her was that she had a cat and that was a lame out. So, you know, <laughs> if I'm leaving because you have a kitty cat, then I then that's that's more a reflection of me being still jacked up than to let it, you know. But there there is a, a thing about men that we are very prideful and we want to hide from the bad choices we've made and we want to believe and I'm not one of, we do believe for the most part that we are better than our actions show of us, but there's either people that remind us of the things that we did, or we ourselves haven't gotten past that to say, okay, I'm, I'm healed from this part of my life where I no longer do these bad things. So I know that I'm, you know, changed in Christ or I'm a better man because of those experiences. I learned from it, but did you really learn from it? I mean, make sure you've learned from it. Not that we need to brag about it, and men do love to brag, but no matter who you are, get through the hurts, the habits, and the hangups so that you can be at peace. We can go back to the self-compassion that we were talking about earlier, but I I love my alone time. I love when I'm when it's just me because I trust me because I had all those veils lifted of why I was making the choices I was making and once I realized why I was making them and that it didn't define me, then what defined me was the fact that I was free. And that freedom in Christ is him saying, you're only defined by what I say about you. Mm, and I don't know, I'm, I may have talked in a big circle and not made any no, sense. No, 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 that's, that's really powerful. Your worth comes from him. Living life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the mistakes you make, you know, while regrettable, we wish we didn't do them. We do tend to really learn from them. We tend to grow from them and yeah. we need to forgive ourselves. You know, Amen. we forgive yeah. everybody else, but the last person we will forgive is ourselves. And yeah. again, that's not helping anybody. All right. Final thing. And I had to do this because it reminded me so much of you because Ace, I think you're the greatest girl, dad, you your dad to three mm -hmm. girls, two grown ones and one that's in middle, middle school. Oh, she in high school yeah. now. She's almost in, in high school. school. She will be next year. Yep. She will be. Okay. So here's a great story that has gone viral on. You know how much I love TikTok, even though everybody wants to wipe it out. Three million likes from a dad, a social media influencer, melting hearts. Mason Smith is the father of two daughters. Listen to the names. This just reminds me of you, Berkeley and Hadley. That's mm -hmm. cute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's just face it. Well, one of his daughters came home from school and they, one of the girls, her classmates was having a party where they were dying their hair, which as yeah. a mom, I would have kind of flipped a little bit over that, but they were doing it. She wasn't invited. Yeah. So what he did is he learned, he got a hair color kit. He dyed her hair, this beautiful pink and he did her nails and he documented it all. And they had a great party and it meant the world to her. And he documented all of it. I just think it's so sweet. 
It's totally what I would have done with my girls because my daughters didn't realize that I knew how to braid hair. Like the first time they're like, Dad, we want our hair braided, but mom's not home. I'm like, I'll braid it. Come here. Like, uh-uh, <laughs> you're a boy. I'm like, trust me. And I braided it. And they're like feeling the braids with every little oh. you know thing. And they're like, Dad, this is really good. And so then it became a thing like, Dad, braid my hair, braid my hair. But <laughs> I also let my girls color their hair when they were younger. Like I've got pictures of Lennon in middle school when she had like blue hair and, you know, rainbow streaks and whatever. Cause I always was of the firm belief and I think it worked whether it was anyone, whether it would work with anyone else's kids or not. I don't know, but letting them express themselves in that way kept them from expressing themselves with bad boys. Mm. Like that was, that, Mm -hmm. that was just, you know, you know, if they want piercings, if they want tattoos at 14, I didn't care. Like I was fine with them expressing themselves as long as they love Jesus and, you know, had a good album collection. Like, let me teach you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the things that people really should judge others about is those two things. But, but I, I feel like the girls, they're now, you know, adults and they're in their first relationships and they're healthy and they're both with Christian men. And they're also with guys who were able to express themselves growing up, which, you know, marries perfectly, you know, for them in those relationships. So, you know, as, as a dad, everything about this screams, I would have done that, but my heart also breaks for the little girl who felt rejected, you know, because the class didn't include her. And I hate that. And and, and, and so Mm. much about this, if there's any part of this show that you play for your kids, play this in that the relationships you have in elementary, middle and high school may or may not last into your adult age. And what they say or don't say or include or not include is not a definition of you. It is a definition of them. If they don't think you're cool enough to hang out, they missed out on hanging out with you. And I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) I totally agree. No place for leaving people out or bullying. Just not cool. One thing that is cool is a sip of the Roxanne blend of coffee. Oh, my goodness. It's got a little bit of pecan. It's got a little butterscotch. You're like, what? Butterscotch? Oh, it's so good. I mean, people smell it, and they like, I know that's the Roxanne blend. So good. Mm. Mybrotherscup.com is where you can go to check it out. You click on the Roxanne blend, and it sends missionaries around the world. It spreads the gospel gospel of Jesus. It's happiness and joy in a bag. Check it out. It's good stuff. Of course, uh, mybrotherscup.com, or you can go to roxanneandace.com to get yours. Unlimited with Roxanne and Ace continues. So great to have you with us. We are super stoked about our next guest. He is a director, producer, filmmaker, the owner of Triple Horse Studios in Atlanta. His numerous projects include the film The Case for Christ and On a Wing and a Prayer with Dennis Quaid, produced by Roma Downey, that you can see on Amazon Prime, which Ace is obsessed. And so bit. there's a lot to talk about. We welcome to the show Carl Horstman. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Ace and Roxanne, thank you all for having me. So how do you make that transition? When, when, what, what commercial are you in the middle of filming that God goes, I want you to make movies? <laughs> how does that happen? No, that is a good question. Uh, well, I had done about seven or 800 commercials. We stopped counting, I think, after 500 commercial type projects. And after a while, they all kind of get to, to, to be the same. And, you know, they're very short-lived. Commercials run, you know, at the most, a little run a year, but usually six months. And, 
we just uh, had always had a heart for longer format projects and I had gone out and produced music videos with casting crowns and a bunch of my buddies at different places. And I love the fact that those things were living a life far beyond what a commercial could do. And we uh, had always had a, a heart and a dream to make movies. And it wasn't until about 2014 when some young and passionate filmmakers that had never made a film ever had uh, came in the door and said, hey, we've got a script and we've got a cast and we need some help. And uh, we had, they had a little bit of money, and we were able to all pull resources and do our first film together. And uh, I guess it came out in 2014. I think we shot it at the end of 2012. And that really started the uh, uh, the ball rolling. We were fortunate to get it in the can and to, to be able to sell that, both commercially, uh, domestically, rather, and internationally. And that, that really got us going. And so we continued for several years doing both. And um, somewhere around 2016, I guess, we hung up our guns, our, our hired guns for commercials for the most part. I still do. I have one client that's been with me a long, long time that I still do uh, commercials with them, and I'm grateful for them. Uh, but other than that, I don't really do many anymore. Well, and Coca-Cola among your clients, so that's a very big decision because there's a lot of money in that. But your heart is bringing stories of hope to the world. Why is that so important to you? Well, it is it is so important, Roxanne. I think because I, I personally have experienced and have seen people experience the love of God in a darkened theater or in that living room. And I think in our society, never more so than even today, where they let their walls down for just a moment. You know, we walk through life with all of our walls up and protecting ourselves from all the ads that are coming at us or the opinions that are coming at us. But I think when we sit in the theater and we take in a story, uh, it's like no other uh, engagement, at least in my life, where I can kind of I, I let down my defenses a bit. And I see that and I think it's a great opportunity for faith and Christian filmmakers to show the love of God. That's what we want to do. We just want to tell people how much God loves them and how much he wants them. You know, a good friend of mine says God doesn't need us. He wants us. And that is so true. We just want to we want to spread that word. And sometimes it's through projects like the Case for Christ, which are very overtly faith-centered, and have a have a, a a moment where the gospel is really comes together at the end of that film, and someone accepts the Lord, and then other films where it's much more subtle, but yet it is still all about the love of God. Well, and I love that Christian movies or faith-based films have turned that corner of making up stories of where we think God might work, and actually just telling the stories of where He's worked. And that's the thing with Wing and a Prayer is it is based on true people, true actualities and how God, you know, orchestrated a man's faith in a time when he was feeling down and bitter. And then you throw Dennis Quaid in the thick of it. It engages <laughs> you on all facets. But tell tell why this story was the next film for you. What was it about Wing and a Prayer that really drew you in? Well, it was a unique story, and that it and it was a true story, like you said. It was set in two thousand and nine, and the uh, a writer who's a, a dear friend of uh, a good friend of mine. That's how a lot of this relationship stuff works in all of our lives, whether it's in the movie business or any other business. Um, she had known this writer's name is Brian Edgerton, and Brian was, uh, I guess, around twenty fourteen, had gone in to take a flying lesson. Always was enamored with flight and wanted to take a, a, a lesson. And uh, the very first lesson he was in, he heard, uh, they, they set all the students down and said, okay, listen to this air traffic control conversation to start learning the lingo. And this is a real situation. And he heard the drama in that between this 
this uh, man who's having to try to land this plane because the pilot had died and the ground crew trying to help talk him down. And he was so taken with it, he wrote a letter to uh, the real-life pilot. His name is Doug White and lives in Louisiana. And that weekend, Doug had him over and they became friends and he trusted uh, Brian with the story. Brian wrote it and pitched it everywhere and no one was interested in it. And uh, finally, he had cut Autumn uh, Bailey Ford, my, my good friend and producing partner on this, came across it. And she loved it. She called me and said, hey, read this. And then I read it. And you could just see the hand of God just so awesomely on this family and sparing them for who knows what he had next. And it was just such a great and true story that was real. It was just a real story of God's providence and, and protection. And so bringing that to life, what is it like? Is it like birthing a child? It must become very personal along the way. <laughs> it, it does. It does. You know, and, and movies and, you know, I, I've been in this industry my whole life, so I can't speak to others, but I know others I've, I've, I've talked to them. Often accomplishments uh, that are complicated take a long time. And this is no different. It took a long time from when Brian first heard the story in 14. And I think I've been working on it for four years now. Uh, between early budgeting phases and early production phases, trying to figure out how to best do it. And we went through many, many rewrites with the studio and uh, even a, 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 some different executives came in and came out and just different people on the studio side of things that uh, you didn't start over, but you had to reacclimate to new people. And, uh, and, and that all took a lot of time. And uh, through COVID and all of the, the, the challenges that that was, it took a long time to get it to the screen, but we are so grateful that it finally it finally did come together, and we were fortunate to see it uh, to see it come to fruition. Carl, do you feel like that the doors are more open because people are in Hollywood are seeing that faith based films or even a story in general can be laced with God's hand and a faith based and be revolving around a faith based family? Do you feel like that that door is open more now, or do you still feel like there's a lot of resistance? I think it's open more today than ever before. I think uh, what's happening and or what has happened really for many years, faith films were seen as a niche or a fluke uh, when they were successful, and so many were were struggling that Hollywood had even you know after Passion of the Christ in 0405 had a lot of the uh, studios started these faith friendly divisions and very quickly got back out because they couldn't they were trying to approach it. I think with uh, dollars and cents and, and math, and they couldn't because that's not the way God works, as we all know. And mm -hmm. uh, they, they didn't understand that it's the spirit of, of, of God and his anointing is what blesses projects and moves them forward. And the stories that he wants to tell are the ones that are, are propelled, regardless of often of, of quality or the filmmaker's pedigree. And I think uh, nowadays, though, I think they've, they understand that faith films is a legitimate genre. They treat it as that. They see it as that. So a lot of the stigma that used to be associated with those faith uh, projects is really waning, I think, and in my experience. And I think we're being treated now no different than a thriller or a rom-com or a horror movie. They just see us as another genre, which is uh, is good for us in, in faith filmmaking and that we have a, a bigger platform. And I think we saw this weekend as Amazon Prime really got behind wing and pushed it out, not just release it on their platform, but they really promoted that film uh, for Easter weekend. And that was just great to see. Oh, it's got to be so exciting for you. Share maybe some favorite memories on set. I know time is limited, but 
you know, when you're when you're working for and with God, I know you see some remarkable things and you know his hand is on it. Is there anything that stands out to you that you'd like to share? Yeah, if I can, I'll share something that happened, and it's been very impactful in my life. It happened a few films ago. It happened uh, on Case for Christ. And, you know, I've been fortunate to be in screenings where people watch the finished product and have that, that moment where uh, they they are touched. And even with some of the screenings on Wing and the Prayer, we had a lot of tears And at the, uh, at the third act of the last part of that movie. You know, I think it moved a lot of people. And we were blessed to see that and be in the room with that. And uh, sometimes I even choke up, and I've seen things – dozens of times by then. But the thing that sticks out for me was we were making Case for Christ and uh, the first AD came to me. We're about two thirds of the way through filming and we were shooting here at the studio and we had set up the uh, Chicago Tribune uh, inside of that uh, newspaper set on one of our stages here. And the first AD, assistant director, came to me and said, hey, I think it would be really beneficial to take a break after lunch and let's show the crew what we're making. Let's show them a couple of scenes of what we're making. And, you know, that's that's money that we take off the table because we still have to pay our team. Even as soon as lunch is over, they're back on the clock. And but we thought, you know, that's really important. Let's do that, because a lot of our a lot of the people that we partner with and come into our crew, many are believers, many are not. You know, it's just the way God assembles that team. And uh, we always are striving for the best artisans in their craft and knowing that, you know, our ministry starts right there at the front door. So we uh, we did that. We had them everybody. We just invited anyone who wanted to come after lunch to the screening theater and take a look at some scenes. And they did. Uh, they really piled in there. We had over 100 people in there, I think, that day. And uh, as only God could work it out, he knew what scenes that we had ready because we just called the editor right there on the spot at lunch and said, hey, we're going to come show some scenes. Cue me up four scenes. And one of them was really the pivotal scene that we had shot a week before where Lee Strobel has this uh, moment where he accepts Christ. And, and we rolled that. And, and I have to tell you, some of these people I've been working with for 20 years who are pretty hardened were really moved and really touched by that. And I got a lot of notes and a lot of, a lot of calls after that as to um, just say they didn't realize that the project they were working on had such impact. And I think it was such a neat moment for me to see my friends who I've been praying for for years really make that next step toward the Lord. It was neat. It's such a great film. You know, he's such a wonderful author, but you know, he's so cerebral and it took so much for Lee Strobel to get to the place where he was ready. But when he was, he was so convinced and not just on a heart note, but the head note too. all the evidence is there. But I I love that movie. And, And I think you did a brilliant job of making it appeal to everybody. Ace alluded to this earlier. You know, the hulkiness of early Christian films and the wincing of some of the acting and some of the writing felt really bizarre. Thank you. That does not exist with the projects you're working on. And you can invite somebody who maybe doesn't believe to really enjoy a film for the film's sake, if that makes sense. Well, I think, you know, we are all called, and and I I had sat in in church for many years, and and pastors always preach, and I think rightfully so, excellence, that we as believers should be excellent in everything that we do, and excellence in the arts, and I think that over the years, uh, the opportunity had been taken away from believers because of the way Hollywood had pursued the messaging that they had and the stories that they wanted to push. That uh, a lot of a lot of young people coming up didn't have the opportunity, and the ones that did were very much shut down uh, in what they could share publicly. And I think we're seeing that now come full circle, where you know more and more filmmakers 
of all ages who are called to this craft uh, see it as that. And we know that for a message to work, I t- I'll always challenge my team that for the for the word of God to, to be uh, as impactful as we can help make it, we have to not knock anyone out of the story, if that makes sense. And it's our job as artisans to just to tell that story with excellence and not let one shot, if we can help it, get biased that is cheesy or that knocks people out, you know, and around the office here, I tease, I said, we want more Jesus, less Jesus. You know, we don't (laughs) want to knock off that cheese if we can, because it can happen in just a moment where you let a line go or you let a shot go. And it's so easy, especially down the stretch to let that happen. And we're not always successful. There's still occasionally stuff that gets by all of us because we think it's you know, we've been so close to it, we think it works, and then we see it later in a group and going, oh, but we learn from that, and we go forward, and we try to make stuff that's really approachable, and uh, for that younger audience who who is just, you know, they've been raised on Marvel movies, they know what great filmmaking is, yeah. we want to aspire to that so we can just tell great stories about the love of God in a way that is, is acceptable. So, Carl, what was the thing, or maybe it's more than one, but what is something that stands out to you of how your faith grew as you were making this new movie? Well, I think we we had many opportunities to see God work, and I think you know we were we were making this movie during COVID, which put a lot of restrictions on our team and on the crew. And uh, it was very, very busy time in Atlanta during that time. A lot of the streamers had poured back into the market, and everyone was making movies. And I think at the time. I don't want to misquote, but uh, over 100 movies and television shows were shooting in Metro Atlanta during that particular season when we were filming this. So getting a strong crew together and a team together became very challenging, much more so than we've had in the past. And we were blessed. We saw God's hand at work, and uh, we had um, one of our key crew people have to take another job uh, out of state because of a personal situation, and it was at the very last minute. And someone else just stepped right in and filled in and, and uh, you know, God was faithful and we were able to, to do that. So I think we saw his hand in a lot of the logistical things that would be less flashy, but certainly without such, we would have not been able to make that movie. So cool. So what's next? What's what's coming? What's on the burner that you can tell us about? Yeah, a couple things. I, I shot one that I'm working on that we're real proud of. It's right now the working title is "Love, Courage, and the Battle of Bushy Run." True story uh, about a uh, uh, the most decisive battle or the final decisive battle that uh, ended what's called the Seven Years' War around the world, and here it was called the French and Indian War in 1763. So, uh, God worldview, not necessarily a faith movie, but uh, certainly all of us in in the positions of leadership on that film were believers. So. It has a solid God worldview, and we're sort of excited about that. But it is an action war movie, so it's probably going to be a little uh, rougher around the edges for some. But it's a great story of really of redemption and of hope and what God can do to restore uh, people on both sides of the divide. And I think so that we, we're excited about that project. And then a passion project for me that we're working on right now, it's, it's in early development and script phase, is uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of or remembered the Experiencing God Bible Study from the 90s that it does quite well. God really used that in a in a way, like you said, Ace, you know, find a story where God did something and let's tell that story. And God used experiencing God in a massive way. The most violent uh, maximum security prison in America, also the largest, is the, the Louisiana State Penitentiary in uh, northern Louisiana. And in the 90s, it was considered the most violent prison in America, statistically, one of the darkest places you can imagine. 
and a uh, an up and coming warden, new warden, rolled into that uh, prison, and uh, an, an an inmate that God really used in a mighty way there as well. Uh, their lives were inexplicably intertwined, and God used the, the Experiencing God Bible study to turn that prison around. And in about a three-year period, they went from the most violent prison in America, statistically, to the most modeled prison. They were graduating people from seminary, sending them out two by two to the penal system all over Louisiana, and just a miraculous story of God taking, uh, you know, where literally the guards told the warden, God doesn't even know this address. and. Mm-hmm he turned it in completely around. And it really shows that no matter what depths of despair or what we've done, uh, I think it's a great story that shows no matter what, God is there and God is with us and God can turn anything around and there's always hope in him. So we're excited about that one. Amen. Carl Hortzman, you are amazing. Thank you for being such a conduit for Jesus and a vehicle for his purpose. We're thrilled to have gotten to meet you even over Skype and uh, are just thrilled to watch your career. We will be cheering you on and praying for you. And I thank you for making time for us. We learned a lot and congratulations on your your beautiful film on Amazon Prime. How could people get more information about you or get in touch if they need to? Yeah, they can uh, they can visit us at triplehorse.com uh, is, is where we uh, hang our shingle and we'd love to hear from people. And we're thankful for everyone who tunes in and supports not just our films, but all the faith projects out there on opening weekends. And that's such a vital time. We're thankful and thankful for you, Ace and and Roxanne, for getting the story out and continuing to do what you do. Because without you guys doing what you do, we would not be successful. And we're so thankful. Our pleasure. Well, we're movie buffs. So anytime you do a film, (laughs) we're probably there with popcorn and icy. So (laughs) that is not a problem. Wing and a Prayer, of course, is available on Amazon Prime. Carl, thanks for your time, bud. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a blessed evening. That is going to wrap up this week's episode. Thank you for hanging out. Hopefully you had a great Easter week. Next time we talk, I'll be a year older, maybe a year wiser. We'll see how that goes. Because now I will officially be able to say I'm in my 50s. So You, know, you seem kind of gleeful about that. I like getting <laughs> older. I, I, I love it, actually. Like, I, I'm do? excited. Yeah, I just... I feel like I'm in this place where I I learned from all my mistakes and now I can just, you know, yeah. be free to hopefully not make them anymore. You know what I mean? Like to really just having a space to love me, love my family. You know, my girls are in good spaces. The kids are in good spaces. Tawny's life's thriving. Like God has really blessed us. And why live with regrets? I can't go back and change any of it anyway. So let's eat cake. I agree. Happy birthday, my friend. I love you you so much. I love you too. (laughs) You've been listening to Roxanne and Ace Unlimited. To make sure you don't miss future shows, you can subscribe anywhere you like to podcast and catch up on anything you've missed. Find out more at RoxanneandAce.com. Roxanne and Ace Unlimited is a production of Spacebird Media.